You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Well, again, if you are a visitor, welcome to St. Peter's. Uh, my name is David. I'm uh, the minister here. And what we do on Sunday mornings is we've now been looking through a book of the Bible called Isaiah. And we're at Isaiah chapter 60. And we're going to look uh, from verse uh, 10, I think. And uh, we'll see how far uh, we get. I want to begin by just reading verses 10 to 12. Foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, in favor I will show you compassion. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations, their kings led in triumphal procession. For the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It will be utterly ruined. Now let me just begin by asking a very simple question. Why bother looking at this at all? It's 3,000 years old. In the context, it's about the Jewish people who had been exiled from Israel and from Jerusalem, uh, taken back, and uh, there are a lot of promises contained in it, a lot of language that we wouldn't necessarily uh, use. Well, what we look at today is something that, uh, believe it or not, is of huge significance to you, and I I want you uh, to be able to see that because what we're asking is, what does it actually mean to be part of God's house. Thinking about Jamie being baptized and uh, what does all of that mean? Now, unfortunately, sorry, this is going to sound wrong. I was going to say, unfortunately, it's coming towards Christmas. I don't necessarily mean that. Um, But uh, there are things about Christmas that are great. What I don't like are the Christmas adverts on the telly. But you'll notice how they're very, very much similar, whether it's M&S or Debenhams or whatever, it's always kind of people in woolly jumpers sitting around a log fire and, uh, you know, chestnuts crackling on an open fire. Whoever does that, but some of you probably do. Uh, and it's kind of, it's all meant to convey this image of Christmas is really homely and warm and warm like this church, thankfully, today. Uh, I got up this morning, my first thought when I got it was, I hope the heating's working. Well, it is. So we're very grateful for that. But that's that image of home and uh, Christmas. And I guess if you're a student and you're going home, the word home is usually a positive word. Now, for some, for a handful, it may not be. For some, the thought of going home is depressing. But for most of us, that's not the case. And when you think about it, what makes home, home? Well, forgive me for being sexist, and if it's your father, then thank him, but usually it's your mother's cooking. It's the familiarity of the surroundings. It's the warmth and the comfort. It's the welcome. It's the presence of the people you love. It's, it's the little things as well. It's the color on the wall. It's that particular painting. It's the way that your mom makes macaroni cheese that nobody else ever does. It's your dad's annoying way of leaving his slippers where they shouldn't be. Uh, you, you know the sort of thing, but it's all things that you've kind of grown up with and you're comfortable with, and going home is a pleasant experience. 
When we speak about God's house, we don't mean a building. Uh, we mean home in that sense, the place where God dwells. It's not this building. It's not the denomination. What does that actually mean, and how are we part of this? Well, these first verses indicate something that I think is really important. First of all, home is a place where the doors are open. Now, a lot of people have the idea of a church as quite an exclusive place. It's a club that you belong to. You come in the door, do you have the right handshake? That's not how it works here. You can have any handshake you want, and we'll still let you in. Uh, I remember once standing at the door a long time ago, and uh, uh, a certain, uh, how should we say, Masonic ritual was enacted by a gentleman who came in. He, he thought, I, I was one of them. Um, I wasn't, and I wondered what the funny little ritual was. Well, we don't have that. There's no secret code. The door's open. You're welcome. Uh, it's why somewhat, you may think somewhat strange, we made the door a glass door so people could see, come on, you can come on in. Now, what's interesting about this context, when these, these doors are open, your gates will always stand open. What that means in this context is the city gates were there for security. They were always shut at night. And I expect most of you at home, what do you do? You, well, if you live in Dundee, anyway, what you do is you lock a door. Have you locked the door is the question your significant other may ask you. Why do you lock the door? It's not so that, um, unless you've got very small children, it's not so that you can't get out. It's so that others can't come in. And in this context, city gates were locked, and it was to secure the people. But what's being said here is that this place is so secure that the gates are left open. And also, they're left open, it says, so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations. Now, what's that saying to God's people who are struggling with insecurity and poverty? He's saying, actually, the gates will be open because the, all over the world, the kings are going to bring their wealth to you. But I think there's also another aspect here, that it's the aspect of welcome, that there is a genuine open door. The kings and the people come, the rulers and the ruled come. It's a picture of a very, very warm welcome. You know how you go to some houses and it's kind of almost, what do you want? Suppose you better come in. If you're in Edinburgh, you'll have had your tea, you know. <laughs> Sorry if you're from Edinburgh, <laughs> but you know, the, you know the kind of thing. Um, and there are other people, and you go to the door, and you just think. I, I remember um, standing at the door there one time, and Eric Alexander, some of you will know, is a, a lovely uh, older, dare I say it, minister. And he greeted me at the door because he was just, he was visiting. And he, he just made me feel like I was welcome to my own church. <laughs> but he made me feel that it was, it was just, it was, it, you know, that you're so warm. And that's the image and the idea that has been given here, that there's an invitation. The church is secure, and it's open, and it's prosperous, and it's welcoming. A lot of people have this attitude, even if I did believe in God, even if there was a God, even I, you know, they wouldn't want me. And I think 
you have to realize that any of us who are here are not here because we are good people, and we're not here because we have done certain things. We are here because God invited us and because the gates are open. Let's go on and read verses 13 and 14. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the pine, the fir, and the cypress together to adorn the place of my sanctuary, and I will glorify the place of my feet. The sons of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Now, Again, in our culture, for most of us, we wouldn't grasp exactly what this means because it's saying that God's house is, it's, it's, here we're looking at the floor, and it's saying that home is a place where you take off your shoes. Now, some of us grew up in context and culture. You're working on a farm even. You'd come in and you'd still have your welly boots on and your mom would say to you, get your boots off. You're going into the kitchen with mud, trapes and everywhere. Uh, most of us will go into one another's homes and we won't take our shoes off unless they've just laid down a brand new white carpet, which is insane if you've got kids. But never mind, uh, some people do that because they saw it in Ikea and it looked good. So they'll do that and then they'll say, take your shoes off. But in some cultures, and uh, our um, Chinese and Malaysian and Singaporean brothers and sisters will recognize this, you automatically take your shoes off when you go into the house for two reasons. Culturally, one is cleanliness, because your feet have just been outside, and who knows where you've been standing. So take your shoes off. Uh, The first time I visited a Chinese couple in Dundee, uh, they asked me to take my shoes off. I did. Uh, Ever since that day, I've always made sure that my socks don't have holes in them. Uh, because there were two crackers, <laughs> and it was a wee bit embarrassing sitting curling up, looking as though I was doing bed meditation or something, just to cover my feet. But for cleanliness is one reason, but another reason in some cultures is respect. That's why you get, and you know, the story of the burning bush and Moses being told, "Take off your shoes, for this is holy ground." It's why if you were to go to a mosque. You take off your shoes before you go in because it's the idea of holiness. Well, here it's a similar idea because Isaiah is speaking about Solomon's temple. And if you, you could read back and you could read the record of how the Sidonians, the Gentile Sidonians, were enlisted by Solomon to build the temple with the wood of Lebanon. So when it says the glory of Lebanon will come to you, What Isaiah is doing, he's reminding God's people, this is what happened in the past. And he's saying that they built this wonderful temple, this wonderful floor. So why does it say, glorify, I will glorify the place of my feet? Again, it's just strange in different cultures how we think about things. We often don't think of our feet are glorious. Well, I've been learning a lot about feet recently. It's fascinating. Uh, how important your feet actually are. But here in this idea and in, in, in the Bible's teaching, it's the notion of the transcendent God touching earth. Here is the holy of holies. First Chronicles 28, 2, King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. This is what the Lord says, Isaiah 66, 1. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? 
Where will my resting place be? Psalm 95, we worship at the footstool of his feet. So what's being said here is that God's house is where God dwells. It's where the almighty, transcendent, all-powerful creator God comes to be amongst his people. And there's a beautiful juxtaposition here because in verse 14, it says, all who despise you will bow down at your feet. And what he's saying is, instead of being the oppressed, the oppressors will bow down. They will recognize the Lord's people and they will recognize the presence of God in your midst. I think there's a great beauty in this. I think there's a great beauty in this whole picture. E.J. Young says about it, a heart that is deeply devoted to God and consecrates to Him all its possessions is a heart whose possessions beautify the place of worship. This is a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place, not because the building is nice, which it is. It is a beautiful place because God is present and God is present in His people. Verse 15 and 16 Although you have been forsaken and hated with no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at royal breasts. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. What is home? Home is a place where you are welcome, where the doors are open. Home is a place where you take off your shoes. Home is a place where you are taken care of. And again, I would love when I was looking at this, I was just thinking, oh, there's so much here, but I'll, I'll not detain you too long. But there's, if, if you look at these words carefully, you'll notice that there are three things that are negative, which are answered by three positive things. It speaks of being rejected, forsaken, and hated. By the way, imagine that. Imagine being in a house where you're rejected. Imagine you go home at Christmas and you're told, I don't want you. Imagine you're sitting in a home and the tension is palpable because there is bitterness and hatred between siblings or parents and children or husband and wife. Rejection, forsaken, and hatred. But here, there's a transformation that occurs and it speaks of being fed and milk and a, a, a savior. It talks about no one will travel no one traveling through. Uh, that's a, an interesting idea. Some of us like the idea of no one uh, traveling through. Forsaken and hated with no one traveling through. What that means is there's no one first footing you at New Year. You can issue as many invitations as you want, but they're not coming to your house. No one visits you. No one cares about you. You're left all alone. And that's an image as we've been going through Isaiah, we've seen again and again, Isaiah 50, 49 rather, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 54, where there's this incredible picture of the abandoned wife. But now, what we're being told here is that God's people are moved from being hated and forsaken to being the pride and joy of all generations. And part of that is this whole idea of being well-fed. You will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at royal breasts. Basically saying you are getting the best of maternal self-giving. Even royalty are going to look after 
God's people. We look for satisfaction in many different places. There are people this day who will think the very idea even of coming to church like this, they're thinking, ah, strange, I've got so many better things to do. And they will find their satisfaction such as it is in the television or in the pub or in the restaurant or wherever. And good as any of those things may be, they ultimately don't satisfy. But God feeds his people. God cares for his people. He is, as it says here, the redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. He is the master chef. He knows what we need and he provides what we need. Verse 17, instead of bronze, I will bring you gold and silver in place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze and iron in place of stones. I will make peace your governor and righteousness your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. One thing about a home is it's decorated. I was trying to say to the kids a wee bit, what makes your bedroom special is it's your bedroom. It's your posters when your mum allows them. It's, it's your, um, you know, maybe your decor. I'm not sure how much of it's your decor. It's, your, it's the decor that you've got used to. It's there. It just, uh, using the jargon, if you like, it is a safe space, but it's decorated, it's organized, it's secure. And there's a picture here where it says gold instead of bronze. It's talking about an exchange that God often brings. His people had gone through a really hard time. And the image that's being used here, the temple being destroyed but being rebuilt. 1 Kings 10, 21. All King Solomon's goblets were gold and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. And this is an allusion back to that saying, remember those days? And then what happened? Lamentations 4 verse 1, how the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold become dull, the sacred gems are scattered at every street corner, how the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hand. And the promise comes in Isaiah, he will provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. And the garment of praise, instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. See, what's been spoken of here is a great transaction. You're poor and struggling in every way. Things are not going great. And God says, I'm going to take these poor things and I'm going to turn them into gold. It's talking as well about how the home is governed or indeed even the society the picture here in these few words is of a mature, well-governed society, harmonious. It says here, um, forgive me for saying this, that there's no politicians. How does it say that? I make peace your governor and righteousness your ruler. In other words, what it's saying is you don't have a need for people to enforce law and order upon a society because peace will be your governor and righteousness your ruler. I think in heaven, there are certain jobs that will be redundant. Um, policemen, doctors, ministers, and politicians. Uh, gardeners, artists, you'll still be okay. But <laughs> the, 
That's because there are, how will I put it? Um, there are jobs that are necessary because of the consequences of sin. If there was no sin, you wouldn't need policemen. And if peace and righteousness were our governors, we wouldn't need governors. And that's the promise that has been given here. And I love this just this little bit in verse 18, that our alarm system, if you like, our security system is the Lord. There will be no violence. There's always violence when there's a breakdown of social order, but there will be no breakdown here. There will be no oppression. There will be no injustice. Isaiah 26, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Now, please understand, this is not saying that within the Christian church, there is never any trouble, or you come in the church, you don't experience any difficulty. That is not the teaching of the Bible. But it is saying this, that you can be secure and at peace and at rest. You can know that God will glorify and build up and beautify His people, whatever happens. Verse 19, the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. You go to a door, you say, there's no one at home. How do you know there's no one at home? Because the lights are all off. And unless they don't want you, they've seen you coming, they've switched the lights off, you know that there's no one at home. Um, it's why if you go away on holiday, uh, sometimes the police will advise you set a timer, a regular pattern so that burglars don't know there's no one home. I mean, a home is somewhere that is well lit, a place of brightness. This week, there was that massive moon. I think some of you may have seen it. The sun and the moon are seasons and how the world is lit. I guess uh, some of you will have been at the Dundee Light Night, which was apparently really, really good. And, uh, you know, Dundee City Centre on a dark winter's night is pretty depressing. Uh, it's quite good, actually, when it's lit up and when it's lit up properly and they put some proper money into some real lights. Uh, it, does, it does cheer you up a bit. But this is talking about completely different level. Verse 1 says, your light has come. And that's God being the light of the world. That's Christ being the light of the world. The natural world is lit by the sun and by the moon. The church and those within it are lit by God. Revelation 21, 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. What does that mean? It means that all sorrow is gone. It means that the Lord will bathe people in His light and beautify them by that light. I've never used one, but I'm told that people who use sunbeds enjoy them. Uh, they don't just use them to get a tan. But this is something 
completely different. This is bathing in the light of the Lord. This is knowing the health that comes from that and the peace that comes from that and the joy that comes from that. We had a funeral here this week. I I don't know how many people have contacted me and said, that's one of the most extraordinary and happy things I've ever been at. And David knows what I'm talking about. How can you say the funeral of your wife or your mother or your friend was a happy thing? Well, you can't if you're not a believer and if you don't know that they were a believer. You can't. This wasn't something trite and corny. It was something profoundly deep and profoundly moving. Why? Because our lives are temporary. And sunlight is always temporary. Beautiful sunlight just now. It'll go. Probably by four o'clock. Maybe before then. It'll go. Might be a gray day tomorrow. Might be a sunny day. We don't know. The kingdoms of this world, even at their best, are always temporary. But the kingdom of God is eternal. And what we celebrated at that funeral was a life lived for the glory of God, which had not ended, but had in reality really begun. And that's why there was such joy. No more sorrow. That's the promise that's given in Revelation. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. You and I will have days of sorrow. I'm sorry we will. But I'll tell you this, Adele Ellis has no more days of sorrow. Not one. That's why that funeral was a happy occasion. Because we knew it. It was real. Let's finish by looking at the last two verses. Then all your people, verse 21, then, all your, then will all your people be righteous and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. Home is where your people are. Who are God's people? They are those who are right with God. That's the term righteous, and it means made right with God. It doesn't mean that we're good people who've earned our way to heaven. It means that God has come and forgiven us and has renewed us and that we are born anew, born again. It means that we are eternally secure. It means that we reflect His beauty. It means that we are the display of His splendor. It means that we grow, and the church grows because to change the metaphor, if you like, we have a divine gardener. When I was thinking about this, uh, and I was thinking about Jamie being baptized, and I was thinking of uh, Callum and Naomi, uh, the least of you will become a thousand. I was thinking, how can I apply that for them? <laughs> uh, you know, live long and prosper. Uh, it's, it's a great picture because it reflects the promise made to Abraham when he, he was only one person, well, he and his wife, when they were only a couple, Abraham and Sarah. You know, thousands. Your, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. And he was old, and his wife Sarah was beyond childbearing age. How can that possibly be? And God is reminding his people, Israel, of where they came from, and how God will always fulfill his promise. This is the vision of Revelation chapter 7, a number which no one can count. I have no doubt in my mind at all, none, about this that God's church will prosper and grow, not in every locality at every time, but always 
The church of Christ is growing and developing. The kingdoms of this world fade away, but the kingdom of God never will. Why? He says it here. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. It's the doing of the Lord. It's there's a covenant name of God, Yahweh, the Lord. Once you grasp that, you realize his promises will be fulfilled. We don't baptize Jamie in kind of vague hope, oh Lord, we kind of hope that you will, this, this kid will have a good life. What we're saying is we believe in our covenant-keeping God. And he will do it. He will do it in his own timetable. Interestingly enough, there's another possibility here. The way that this, this is translated is one way of translating it. But it could mean enjoy. And I am the Lord. I'll do this swiftly. I'll enjoy this. And it could mean this has this idea that when God saw that sin had entered the world, he was grieved in his heart. So God, as Zechariah says, rejoices with singing over the fact that people are saved and brought into his kingdom over the new creation and the new people. The gates of praise, it's what's spoken of here. What is this praise? I think it's such a trust in God that we sing praise to him, not out of wishful thinking, but just out of blessed assurance. There are no earthly defenses that will protect you, the tailors, Jamie, from all the things that this world may throw at us. But there is an abundance of joy and safety and peace in God alone. The whole point of this passage is God is saying, I am able to restore the fortunes of my people and I will do so. And we know that because of Jesus, because he is the light of the world. Revelation 21 again, the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. We are committing Jamie Taylor to Jesus Christ. Maybe all of us need to commit ourselves to him. My prayer is that you would see the light of the glory of the gospel of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that you would see Christ, and that you would be drawn to that light, and that that light would shine in your own hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that whether we understood a lot, whether we understood little, that you would enable us to understand and that we would be doers as well as hearers, that we would worship, that we would give ourselves to you, that we would seek you, and that we would know your presence in all things. Help us and may your blessing be upon us in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, Bev, could you go through and tell the Sunday school, please? They can come back through. We're going to sing before uh, Jamie's baptized. We're going to sing the song, We Praise God for His Covenant. The tune will be Aurelia, which I think is the tune that we normally use for the church's one foundation. Uh, we'll stand and sing, We Praise God for His Covenant with Abraham long ago. <clears throat>
Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.